to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and as always, I'm joined by my friend Mike. Hey! So today, we are putting a bow on Wheel of Time Season 2 with the finale, which is Episode 8, titled... What Was Meant to Be. What Was Meant to Be. And apparently, Rand being anything of importance is not meant to be. (laughs) But... Before we get into the rewind here, let's give out the typical reminders. If you want to get in contact with the show, you could send us an email, which is fantasyrewindpod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, which is at fantasyrewindpod, or on X, which is at fantasyrewind. All right, without any farther delay, let's dive into the rewind. Okay, so Dylan... Episode 8, what was meant to be overall thoughts. I think we kind of got your tone of sort of your thoughts on this episode. but Yeah, I mean, my overall thoughts are really what's meant to be is they can't stick the landing in these series finales so far, in my opinion. Um, I thought that this was one of my least favorite episodes of the season. And just... A mess <laughs> in a lot of respects. Um, okay, in some, but in general, I thought this finale was a mess. Mike, what about you? I'd say yes. It was definitely a mess. There was some. There was some really great moments to it. Honestly, there was a mo- part where I almost cried because I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is exactly kind of how I pictured it, and this is awesome." Uh, sounding of the horn of Elia. Oh, that but was then one there of the best parts. Lot- I mean, yeah, it was really amazing. But then there's just a lot of things they took liberties with that I just, I feel like kind of goes against the character in a lot of different instances. And so there was a lot of things that I had dispute with. And while this didn't, while this didn't feel as terrible as the first season finale, this definitely didn't feel as satisfying as I hoped it would. And I think that there some cool right there moments, like is what I really want to emphasize as well, is that as much of a problem as I'm going to have talking about this episode, it is leaps and bounds ahead of where the season one finale was, because that was that was one of my least favorite episodes of the show in general. This did not get to that level of ridiculousness, but I did still have a lot of problems with it, and We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what we liked, because there are parts we did like, and <laughs> what our hopes are for a season three as well, if, you, uh, if you're up for that, for capping that at the end. I think that'd be great. Now, let's get into this. So, at the beginning of this episode, we have Ishamael's imprisonment at the hands of Louis Theron. What were your thoughts on that? I didn't mind that scene. I thought that scene was okay. I, I liked the idea that we got to see more of the Age of Legends. Got to see Luz mm-hmm. Theron like having his moment of victory over Ishamael. Ishamael basically saying like the other Forsaken are going to come for me, and Luz is like, "Did you really think I didn't already get them too?" <laughs> and mm-hmm. making it known that Ishamael, you you want this to end? Well, you're going to get the opposite of that. You're going to be in eternal prison. You're never going to be reborn. You're never going to have any of your future lives happen. It's going to be this life on pause for eternity. Enjoy. And I thought it showed a ruthlessness to the dragon that I think will be good when we're talking about future seasons 
Yeah. Agreed. All right, Dylan. Uh, I also, I didn't mind it. I think it was nice, kind of a good way to sort of have that connection. Also to show something that they brought back is that the connection between Ishamael, Lanfear, and Lewis mm-hmm. Theron, that they were all best friends. And so that was really a theme they were trying to pull out of this season is that they need, all these characters need each other. Yeah. And I think that was, you know, they did a nice job of showing that at the end in the final battle with Ishamael. But I, I just, I think that by doing that, they're also somewhat diminishing each character's importance. Definitely couldn't agree more. Uh, in some ways. Now, let's get into this. I think I'd like to follow Perrin for a little bit here. Sure. Kind of go through his arc. Uh, go through... Egwene's kind of arc, uh, Nynaeve's, I think kind of each, parceling each character individually and then sort of doing, wrapping it up with overall thoughts. Like a, how about a lead up to that battle with Ashamayel and then we'll stop mm-hmm. and talk about that scene in total. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, Perrin, we see him kind of walking up to Falma with Avienda, Bane and Chiad. Bane and Chiad and Avienda, I think they didn't really have much in this. Nope. Um, I do like that they mentioned the Karakarn at the end. Mm-hmm. You saw them fighting. They were efficient. So I have no issues with that. Perrin, um, this is where I run into a bit of some murkiness here. So we have like we have the Children of the Light, and they're attacking. And I think that's really cool how they do it, bringing in the fake fog, all that. Yeah, I like that part. Neato. That was neat. Yeah. Great way to do that. Them actually fighting the Sean Chan. I was like, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Way better than in the books when we really didn't get any of that. And so this we got to see fighting. It made sense. They would also know about the women, uh, the channeling. And so that going after the tower, I thought, made sense as well. Mm-hmm. It all, like, great. The Children great, of great, Light great. part leading up to the battle inside Falma was perfect. It was nothing yeah. at all wrong with that. It all made total sense to me. I loved seeing um, Jeff from Bornhold kind of taking control of the whole situation, um, not necessarily giving Valda everything he wanted and marching in there. And that all that was great. Agreed. And even like them fighting, Alexis commented and she's like, this is really bloody. And I was like, well, it is kind of like the final battle episode. So makes sense. The scene with Hopper coming in and rescuing Perrin when Perrin's getting pinned to the ground by Valda and, you know, Valda's about to kill him. Like, I was like, okay, I understand what they're doing. They're meshing together the entire... Entire White Cloak white arc cloak, from the story. Yeah. Yeah, uh, into one. And that's fine, honestly. Like, and it really gives um, little Bornhold Jr., the like, the reasoning for wanting to kill Perrin that he does right you killed my father um and see for me that part there I had some problems with it because I was like the whole point of why Dane Bornhold hated Perrin in the books is because he thought Perrin killed his father thought he was involved in his father's death and he wasn't and then Dane realizes this and realizes I don't have to hate you and this is Correct. a moment that would make it unforgivable for Perrin in Dane's eyes because you killed yeah. my dad literally in front of my in eyes. In front of my eyes. <laughs> and so yeah. no redemption for Perrin in the White Cloak's eyes from that. 
agreed completely. It would have been better if Valda killed him and then blamed it on Perrin. Yeah. Um, but this, yeah, this made it very much like unforgivable. I agree because they do not completely rectify at the end of you know towards the end of the books, but like they do have a moment where they kind of at least work together, right. and it's not. They're never terrible, friends, but... but they meet as men and they work out their differences. And Dane realizes Parent isn't the monster he thought he was, but this scene basically to me makes Perrin into the monster the children of the light and Dane Bornhold thought he was the entire time correct now if we even just look past this part of it my issue here is that one Valda was on top of him about to kill him Mm -hmm. the wolf Hopper comes in jumps on him you know as uh, obviously you know attacking uh, Valda and then Bornhold comes in and kills him but afterwards, Valda, he's, Dwarnhold is just like, Valda, to me. And Valda doesn't go over and just kill Parent? Like, what? What? Like, you don't even see Valda again after that. After he just got mauled. No, he kind of slinks and, away. Yeah. He would have... Okay, I'll be right there. Let me just, you know, like... It just sort of like, okay, we're supposed to... He's just supposed to brush off the fact that he was just attacked by a wolf. That he was in a murderous rage towards Perrin that just didn't make sense like you know that just didn't make sense Mm -hmm. because all because Barnhold was like Valda to me and and he's just ignoring Perrin as well Uh, like after your your lieutenant or whatever is sitting there grappling this guy I don't know that just felt like there was a lot of little moments like that where it's just like that just doesn't make sense and I know you're doing it to move this plot and to create this this next scene that you did, but like that just doesn't feel natural or like that would actually happen. Um, that was just sort of my takeaway from that. I don't. I have nothing to add to that. I said my piece. <laughs> yeah, I know you did, and I agree with that completely. It's just yeah, it just felt weird and just kind of forced rather than something that should have been a little more natural and letting the letting the um readers or the watchers sort of do some of that theory in their head and i mean i think that was such a big thing with robert jordan's work is that he didn't treat us like we were stupid right Right. he created a lot of these like these relationships like born hold and parents which were complicated and you were like this is so stupid but at the same time you could see why it made sense Mm -hmm. and you were just like just talk about it like you shouldn't be mad at him you guys should be working together like you're saying that as a reader and that's the kind of frustration that you want to have too when you're watching these like this show is like if you guys just said this like or if you just saw this a moment before but the dark friends are the ones interfering and creating these situations and that's part of the frustration and that's part of the magic in these books is that you have these these characters who are making it so the light can't work together as they should right it's the whole purpose of the dark friends is to try and sow discourse between the forces of the light Mm -hmm. and they're very successful with that correct and you don't really get that in the show so much um i mean pat and fane let's go to matt here pat and fane pat and fane's character i do want to stick with perrin for a little bit more oh yeah sorry what else would you like to say about him so uh just talking about a little bit farther on in the episode there. I can't remember if it's farther on or a little before. I think it's farther on. When Inktar and Loyal are coming oh. with the Horn of Valir, yeah. which somehow That's they before. magically procured. 
and um, I get thanks to a Kyrie Annan. Yes, I get, I get, I get a uh, you know, I get that Fulma is burning. I get that chaos is happening. It's heavily implied, but it's not shown that Lanfear gives them the the Horn of Valir because the Kyrie Annan to me is probably Lanfear. Yeah. Then you also have Inktar, who in the books is a dark friend. Not in the show, though, to my knowledge. There's nothing that really comes out and straight up implies that he's a dark friend in the show. They do all of the things he said that were hints, but they never have him do his moment where he reveals himself right. and like says he was the one that opened the gate and let like the dark friends in. Yeah, so Inktar's death in the show to me, there's no weight. It has absolutely no consequence. We got to see him maybe for a total screen time of 10 minutes throughout the entire season. So his death is meaningless. Okay. This is, this is kind of what I want to hit on is they did a lot of fan service and some of the phrasing people said, but it meant nothing because of this. Like, like with him for the light in Shinoa. Yeah. Like jumping in. That was cool. But it was well, and his his comment show. too, like one man could hold off fifty here, and parents like you don't need to do that. And it's like he that should have been the moment where he stops. Parent is like I do need to do this, yeah. You know, and kind of talks through that. Um, but instead, they they it felt like they were rushing some of this instead of giving it, it the, the moment to shine. And honestly, that's going to be a theme. I think is rushing, and. We'll have we can have this discussion later where um, I think that again, more episodes. Give us more episodes for light's sake. At least ten. Ten to twelve, yeah. please. Yeah. And but so keeping with Perrin, um, we do have him procuring a new weapon that I think is gonna be his for the rest of the series. A shield. Axe. Which oh. um we can oh. we can talk about that after Matt's yeah. if we want to because it is Uno's magical shield because Uno is a hero of the horn <laughs> but <laughs> okay fan service to bring Uno back but at the same time they didn't do him justice when he was around for anyone to care yeah exactly like if they had given him more time and more light to shine and it made his death meaningful like okay that would be cool but you're literally doing this for the fan the fans of the books. Yes. Not for the fans Who of the show. you've been screwing over the entire series. <laughs> Correct. And there was even a phrase, like, this is this is another example here, the phrasing, right? He shows up and, like, stops the fight Perrin uh, was about to have with Bornhold Jr. And he's like, don't look so surprised. I'm a bloody uh, hero of the horn. And it's just like, but why would, why would you say that? He's not looking surprised like that. He's in a rage like yeah. that doesn't match like i was like that feels really i i took that as more of uno talking to the audience and yeah it's that that's yeah. true yeah but why but not, i bring it this like up during why i bring this up during parents arc here is because in the books one of the biggest struggles parent has is between the hammer and the axe you know am i a blacksmith am i a warrior like what's my place that. in this world here and it yeah. seems to me like they're ignoring that struggle and they're giving Perrin a shield to say, I'm a protector. And nothing Perrin has done so far has has done that. He's murdered his wife. 
He's murdered the Children of the Light captain. He has mm-hmm. shown himself to be a mindless monster, and he has chosen the axe in the show more times than not. I wonder if they're going to bring that into season three and have that be his arc. Probably. 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 That's what I would say. Yeah. If we're if we're sitting there questioning it, it seems to be like they're like, we're going to take one thing for our character and stretch it through. At least for that season. Like Matt had, Matt's whole thing this season was struggling between dark and light and him kind of finding the gray. Let's, and I thought that, honestly, that. I, yeah, I, that's a, a nice transition there. Um, I think that was a good thing for his character. Like, I did not, I agree with you completely. I have not liked how they portrayed him so far in the series. I think they've done a really shit job of it. And I, but I like this episode that they finally almost acknowledge that in like, you are actually a hero. You've just sort of had this mindset that you were the villain. If this was right? the only episode of Matt all season, I would have loved it. But the last like two to three episodes have done nothing but again apply the dung to Matt's character, and but it made this so much sweeter. That so that that is one thing I will say is yes, they have dragged him through shit, and they have made him the worst character possible and we hate him but then this episode it's like you get the cleverness okay i'm not gonna touch the dagger so let's just go through matt's arc because yeah i think we kind of got so, Karen to the point where he joins his super friends to fight ashamayel yeah so in this episode ashamayel is um like tells pat and fane that i know exactly who's going to kill rand it's matt and with what? The dagger. And I wanted Pat and Fane to have a bit more issue getting rid of, like, leaving yes. the dagger. Even throughout their exchange, like, having him maybe, like, touch it and, like, talk about it. and Being reluctant uh, to give it up, showing the dagger, taking a hold of him. Yeah. I wanted a bit more of that. Because you got a touch of it for a second. Like, when Ishamiel says that, he sort of, like, almost, like, pets it reverently. And there's, like, the whispering. But it's not enough throughout um, for me to really feel like Pat and Fane's enthralled with it yet. And he should be, mm-hmm. especially if he's the one who killed the Merdral. Now, I am wondering if they're going to bring that piece back next season and sort of have Pat and Fane take up Ashamael's, um His role, almost, as, like, yeah, dark... Head villain. Yeah, Though it seems villain. like they're doing that with the other Forsaken, mm-hmm. which whatever um well it seems like it's going to be mogadine mm-hmm. which actually it was Makes really sense. Mogadine yeah. after anyway but i i wanted more of that from pat and fane and what pat and fane does is he leaves the dagger in front of matt and it's like you're gonna touch it you can't help yourself it's who you are embrace the darkness matt and that matt has this struggle until it's like something clicks and he finally realizes and i thought he was gonna hang himself really uh yeah i was like i wonder if he's like like he's gonna hang himself then have some visions and then oh yeah sort of kind of combine those two Mm. elements but i guess not but anyway he takes the dagger doesn't touch it he just ties it to the end of a stick apparently he can tie really well because that dagger does not come loose (laughs) at all even though you stab things with it stab people with it like yeah 
But also, That's this dagger is apparently a lightsaber because it can cut through doors and locks. And That's how tainted it is. <laughs> yes. But yet, Loyal and Uno and Inktar and all of them can survive being cut by it. Meanwhile, Sean Chan villain number one gets stabbed by the dagger and turns to dust. <laughs> yes. Well, and also, Rand gets stabbed with it and he has a wound that never heals. Yes. Which does happen in the book. It does, it does, but it does, and from that same weapon, from, I'm pretty yep, from the no. weapon, from the stab. Is it from the dagger? So yeah, he, except it was Pat and it Fane. It was Pat and Fane who stabs him in his previous wound that would never heal that he got from a Shamaya, which he doesn't ever get. But yeah, it was it, he does get stabbed by this dagger in the book. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying like, but yet loyal and everyone else is okay. You're right. Yes, plot holes galore here, friends. Like. If you just stuck with the books instead of trying trying to do some stuff with some for some dramatic flair like them being attacked, right? It wouldn't have been a big deal. It would make so much more sense, but Correct. we don't get that. Um, let's continue on with Matt no. though. Anyway, all that he reunites with Perrin. It's a really happy moment. They give him the horn to take to Rand, and after he cuts open the box with the lightsaber dagger. Um, takes the horn out and when he gets up there there's a platoon of Sean Chan waiting for him he has no other option but to blow the horn and I kid you not Dylan I started to get teary eyed yeah. in this scene because I was just like goosebumps um, it was it was great it was, it was arguably awesome. the best scene of the episode oh yeah Matt, re- Matt realizing like I remember like my past lives like I was I am a hero of the horn um now i wish they had called him by his like past life name i forget what it was uh but you know just to sort of add in there but some of the warriors mean like we have fought together like century after century mm-hmm. and all this like i thought it was cool nice little cherry on top there i also we haven't mentioned this yet but i do think that by matt tying the dagger onto the stick it's like a foreshadow of his ashandarae and I think oh, absolutely. that is cool. However, oh, agreed. the taint of the dagger apparently can't travel down <laughs> the stick to him. Or can it? I don't know. I mean, apparently it's only the blade that burns things. Uh-huh. So. Oh, what I, what I mean is like him becoming more enthralled by the dagger. If he doesn't actually I... physically touch it, but being in its, in its presence is okay. I guess we'll find out next season. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I I'm gonna be interested to see what they do with this because I mean, this yeah we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, I sure. I have no idea. Anyway, so yeah, Matt summons the heroes. They fight. Um, Uno's the hero of the horn, like we already mentioned. And what yeah. I do want to bring up here for Uno is that what I've heard is that he's supposed to be Guidel Kane. Hmm. Well. But okay. we get that, some I mean, uh, some visions of the other heroes of the horn, including a certain blonde-haired archer that we quickly pan past and don't oh, focus yeah. on too much. Brigida, yep, yeah, yeah, in case they need Brigida. to change the actress, probably. Yeah, probably gonna replace that actress with whoever they're gonna have play her role later. But yeah, yeah. we'll see. Correct. So anyway, we get Arthur yeah, Hawkwing. Kind of... We get uh, some of the other heroes of the horn, and yeah, cool scene. Yeah, uh, and honestly, I know some people commented and didn't like the blurring effect for them. 
I didn't mind it because they are supposed to be almost like spirits, ghosts. Right. I was kind of waiting for so, them to have like an army of the dead look, like in Lord of the Rings, like as in see through, not necessarily oh, skulls and yeah. bones and stuff, but like the blurring effect was their attempt at making them otherworldly, which they are supposed to yeah. be. Yeah, agreed. Now, um, it's kind of the end of Matt's story until he gets to the rooftop. Yep. Let's kind of pivot over to Nynaeve, Nynaeve yeah. and Elaine, because I think that's the other quickest one. They torture, well, Nynaeve tortures the Suldam, and to find out information, you finally get that, oh, I can like feel her emotions in my hand, and like I can just squeeze and push, and like that affects them. I wish we had taken just a little bit more time here with this and done a little more, like this could have been the moment where it's really some explanation of that, how that link works, which you do get throughout the episode, uh, mostly from Egwene Mm -hmm. uh, later on, but uh, just maybe in just another moment to like her, like uh, not believing this and explaining how like, like I'm talking about the Sewell down there explaining how preposterous this is or why she doesn't want to be seen like mm-hmm. you know just a little bit more and it just seemed again like I said earlier rushed and I think that is a lot with this episode that a yeah. lot of this felt rushed like they could have done this part last episode should have and then this episode or last episode ending instead of them putting the collar on her being like putting the collar on her having this interrogation and then like fine we're gonna go up there and then um this next episode like be them being going to the kennels and then like on uh, the city's under attack and then we have to go to the tower like wouldn't have really been that big of a deal but anyway any thoughts on oh uh you do finally get Nynaeve's whole block thing yeah sort of talked about more so i think my biggest uh takeaways from this part here was that the the white cloaks do know Hey, it's not the Suldam who's the the danger here. It is the Domani who we need to take out. And so that's why this Shan Chan woman who Nynaeve and Elaine are leading through the city, she's the one that gets the bolt through her neck. And then yeah. you also get to see Elaine get shot. And Nynaeve, like you said, being unable to heal her, unable to channel and then just kind of pushes this arrow through her leg and then they're able to climb a tower (laughs) yeah uh that's kind of it for them it is but i do want to i do want to say like this was a very light episode for elaine and nynaeve and i think that's a hundred percent fine and that's because that's really not the important part they're not the important people in this finale, necessarily. So having Nynaeve and Elaine be more minor characters that only have a brief screen time, that's fitting. Correct. Um, I think the next one we should talk about is... Egwene? Probably Moraine and Lan. Yeah, Moraine and Lan. Let's do them. So obviously they're running, walking through the ways with Lanfear. Lanfear sends them out near the city after talking about how she knows that, or she knows that um, after Moraine tries to, you know, wiggle her way out and get her to do things like trying to make Lanfear underestimate her. Basically, mm-hmm. I can't control the power. Uh, using those I said I words again and really having that be a thing. And 
she sends him out, kicks him out basically, and then her and Rand apparently travel to Falma. We don't, we can't see it, so we don't know. But that's kind of the end of the ways end with that. But Maureen and Land then have this walk on the beach as they're trying to figure out where they're at, and we finally have Maureen saying that Land is such a better. She could say these things because Lamb is such a better person than her, the better half of them. And that was in response to Moraine saying that they were never equals earlier on mm-hmm. in the series, and then her saying, I was only able to say that because you're better than me. Yeah, which I thought was... That's... Yeah, which made sense, honestly. Um, they get bonded again. Everything's happy joy joy. Uh, and so that's actually that. something I did want to bring up. I saw them being bonded again, and I'm like, wait, when did they get unbound, unbonded? Like... Shouldn't she said she released his bond earlier on in the series season. But if she was shielded, she wouldn't have been able to access the one power to release his bond. Dylan, you're you're getting too big brain with this. Remember, if you start thinking about these things too much, then it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So for me, that was one of my bigger issues. I'm like, it is a the heck. <laughs> Come on, Moran. Yeah. No, that is a really good one to pick, pull out. Like, how could you change the bond if you were shielded? Yeah. Yeah. But then we get <sighs> Moraine uh, doing probably the most visually stunning moment of the episode um, later oh, on the yeah. beach her, with her channeling. Her, like, dancing and yeah. channeling, yeah. While Land protects her and takes out a whole platoon of soldiers. Apparently he can fight. Uh, I was going to say, apparently Lan got his balls back. And he remembered, oh yes, I am Lan Mandragoran. I am, you know, the last of the Malkiri who's going to stand alone against the Shadow. And he was able to take them all out. Yeah. Including an archer that was up on the wall. Who just uh, gave wall. up. Yeah, well, the archer shot at Lan. Lan catches the bolt. Stabs another Stabs. person with it. And he's like, oh, and maybe I shouldn't shoot I guess him. I shouldn't give him ammunition yeah. to hit my friends with. And so, like, some Even people, though I'm completely protected. Like, we could just stand here and shoot arrows at them and not even get close. Like, yeah. I was like, okay. Again, another moment where I was just like, not a good choice. So some people I saw having some sense. complaints with this scene because Land fought them one at a time, basically. Because the group didn't yeah. attack Land as the group. Which makes total sense. That's fair. But this scene to me was still like a almost sort of redemption for Lan where he was able to show, yes, I am a competent fighter. Yes, you need to respect me as a character. And he was able to protect Moraine from this platoon of Sean Chan. Yeah. Uh, I haven't read any of the complaints yet, but I would agree with them. I was, uh, I was more so referencing the live stream of Sanderson, the Dusty Wheel, and Daniel Green. Oh, okay. I did not watch that. So if there's any other nuggets in there you want to share, maybe towards the end of our, our walkthrough, I'd love to hear some. All right. So that's kind of the it for Lan and Moraine. She severs the weaves that are uh, shielding Rand in the fight. And that's kind of... Well, and she does that by having this giant, like, fire wave come up and destroy all the Sean Chan ships, which is pretty cool. It was pretty awesome, but my biggest complaint with this was how powerful is freaking Moraine, and why wasn't she able to do this earlier in the series? Like, Winter Night, she had this cool, like, one power scene, 
but she's almost like, I need to charge, 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 come on, man, ha! And yeah. go out with it. Um, You're not wrong. But You're not wrong. The distance that Moraine would need to channel to hit all of those ships, the amount of power she would have to use, holy hell, tell yeah. me how those Damani on the ships did not feel that coming. Now, we know that she was definitely one of the more powerful channelers. Her and Swan right, were, they were like some of the most powerful channelers uh, before Nynaeve and Egwene and Elaine. Right. So we do know that piece, but it's not really talked about in the show either. So, yeah, whatever. Suspension of disbelief, Dylan. All right. It was cool. Let's let's get to Egwene. <laughs> or do you want to do Rand now, first? Let's do Egwene. Okay. Uh, because then we culminate, we'll do Rand's all the way up to the fight scene and sure. talk about the fight scene. So Egwene in this episode, I think had, she had a really, hmm, I'm really torn with her because one, very cool in a lot of parts, but the complete sabotage of her character. Yeah. Yeah. That's where hmm. I'm standing too. So like in this episode, she's basically suited up. Um, she has her braid cut off because she doesn't want to go fight. And her soul dom's like, you're going to go fight. And it cuts her braid off, which I was like, okay, fair. I like that. That was good. I did too. And so she goes up there. Everyone else is shooting fireballs down into the crowd. So she then starts shooting. Uh, she shoots one or two fireballs, realizes what she's doing, and basically disobeys. Well, she shoots them at the Children of the Light because she yeah. does have some animosity towards them as well. Yeah. And, um, but she sees that there's, you know, other people getting hurt. Yes. And so she doesn't want to take part of it. In it. And so she's about it's to have her, her ball tongue gag. cut out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About to have her tongue cut, cut off. <laughs> and the children f- fire some trebuchets and hit the top of the tower, killing everyone except for her and her soldom. Because Which plot. they might have just cooled, killed the other soldom because remember, if the soldom dies, the demonic dies. Right. Which is an interesting sort of we'll, we'll talk thing about we that get a into second here. here. So what happens though is um, when her Suldam Renee, right? Uh, Rena. Rena, yes, sorry. Rena gets up and starts, you know, punishing Egwene, saying it's all her fault. Um, she takes an idon that had fallen off of her, the blue sitter who, <laughs> Pura, we'll call. Uh, and shoves it around her neck and it activates and they are in this weird sort of they're both Suldam and they're both Damani sort of relationship yeah which is really interesting because um Egwene starts to like do the pressure on her brain thing but wouldn't that do the same thing to her plot like plot we can't think about know. these things. Big brain. Ideas. It wasn't until she was actually like choking her up against the wall that she was like feeling it herself, and it was sort of like playing. They were playing chicken almost. Yeah. And it showed that Renee gave up and was like, "Okay, if I give up, she'll stop." Yeah, Rena just completely gave up and was like, "I submit. Let me go. I'll let you yeah. go." <laughs> yeah, and 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 Egwene doesn't even hesitate. Kills her. Yep. After she uh, lets her go and. I that scene I was just like no yeah no that was that is something like that is something that happens in the books but like Egwene recognizes that hold on so by some, that's something that happens in the books you mean Egwene not her murdering her a collar on Rena yes, yes correct a collar on 
the Suldam. And that's such a big pop thing going forward, but now that's gone. Yeah. There is no There's no Suldam. evidence that the Suldams can channel. Correct. And that's such a thing going forward, uh, because that basically throws their entire system that they have in place is wrong. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work, because you have people who can channel controlling people who can channel. And Egwene does a nice job explaining that. Mm-hmm. It's just that... I this it just felt like okay we're just gonna do this because she said she was gonna kill her and so she actually is yeah but it's no, so no. different from who Egwene is as a person as a character she Correct. would never have killed Rena. I mean as much as she in the book she wanted to she kill did. her so badly she but she, she recognized that her having the collar on was such a worse fate right and so you know you could have still had that moment and then just like run like yeah see i think that this would have worked better if rena and Egwene were in the kennels like they are mm-hmm. in the book but Correct. because they needed to clear out the trash at the top of the tower and make room for the super friends fight against the shamael they needed to get rid of rena and so they're like well Egwene said she was going to kill her let's have her do that Never mind, she would yeah. never do that in a, in the books in a million years. She wouldn't cold-blooded murder someone. But she does in the show. Yeah. They go a little bit darker than they need to. Then we get Rand coming up, and it's all there. So now let's talk about Rand. <laughs> all right. This so, is the wettest fart of a story arc that we have in this series so far. Sweet mother. Like, there were so many moments that could have been so cool, and they just, like, did away with it. Like, uh, when we... I mean, and some of it I don't blame. So, like, the first part we get is, obviously, after the ways when Lanfear teleports Rand into Falma. Don't really know what other conversations they had. But Rand walks up to... Sees Egwene, and instead of doing anything, right? Mm Mm-hmm just sort of watches her and is like and then finds two rock and is like you did this to her and um you have this really cool moment cool moment where two rock sees a sword talks about what see what it takes for you to earn that sword on this side and i'm like yes i'm like this is gonna be awesome they're gonna fight and i see rand embrace the source i was like oh he's just gonna kill the other soldiers and then they're gonna have a sword fight no no he just shoots daggers of he power kills, at all of them kills everyone kills everyone and i'm like well, that makes sense, but I wanted him to actually fight. Yeah, so in the books, there's this awesome sword fight between Turok and Rand. And where I feel like they went wrong and why we didn't get this scene is because Rand did not do his training with Lan like he should have at the beginning of this season. So for Rand at this point to be a blade master and to defeat a blade master in combat would have been just completely unbelievable. And I, I'm upset that we didn't get this scene because it's such a cool scene in the books. And at the same time, I understand it. And I think they did a visually cool scene of Rand killing everyone with the, the power daggers, but yeah, it was a letdown to see this scene get tossed to the trash heap. Yeah. I mean, like we've said, 
rushed, right? Mm-hmm. These big things, these moments that were so big and powerful in the books fall flat um, in a lot of ways in this episode because they just didn't spend enough time building up the proper things. So uh, this fight obviously didn't happen, but like you said, it makes sense that it didn't happen since he never really had any formal training, just, again, mentioning, oh, you know some of the forms. Yeah. So maybe they'll address that in Season 3. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, after this, Rand sort of disappears for a while until Egwene uh, pops up and... Uh, after her fight or choking out and killing after her murder uh, of Rena, Rena, yes um you know Rand shows up and is like oh i was i came to help you i'm so sorry but i guess you don't need me right and um you know and then ishamael shows up and Egwene goes to fight him and he takes her out throws real her quick. against the wall yeah and then you know Rand's about to fight and then when he's about to fight oh he's shielded and he's on his knees again. And so, for me, and, really quick, I did see this part coming. Like, when Ishamael had the conversation with Sue Roth earlier on, mm-hmm. I completely called her being in position to shield the dragon. And so, I was not mad at that part. No. But what we see in this scene here is we see Rand go down, but then we see Rand do what I wish he did with Swan, and it's stand yeah. back up. Get on your but feet. it's taken him, you know, it's taken him this, the, that's supposed to be his growth, right? Yeah. Is that he's not mm. just laying around for it anymore. Also, too, what's different this time is that he has his friends with him. Well, not yet. So Well, but I'm just saying, yes. like, that's sort of, like, when I think about themes for this episode, like, this season, it's you need your friends. Like, yeah. you've had some growth. Each character grew a little bit. You're Egwene, better together. Yes. Egwene not giving up. You know, she gets knocked out by this Ashamel, she gets back up. And Perrin, like, becoming the protector, not just the killer. So before any of Uh, that, though, Rand stands back up, he's shielded, he's talking with Ashamel. Matt comes up the Um, stairs, and he sees Ashamel there talking with Rand. Knew this was coming, And he's like, ooh, I got this. (laughs) Throws his spear, and goes right through the illusion of Ishamael and stabs Rand. And this actually made me happy because I was like, okay, if they're going to make Matt stab Rand, this is the way I would have wanted it to happen. By accident. With him not not doing it with malicious intent and still making Min's vision come true. Mm. Because then, yeah, it works out well. But, uh... Then we have Elaine and Nynaeve come up. Well, then we have Egwene getting back up and then holding her own against Ashamael for the rest of the episode, pretty much, where Ashamael goes to finish Rand off as he's laying on the ground, and Egwene pops back up after getting bug-slapped earlier and is able to hold up the shield, blocking Ashamael, who just stands there and shoots fireball after fireball at her. Meanwhile, you know, no uh, no teleportation behind her to take her out that way. Like, no creativity in his attacks of her. Just standing there repeatedly shooting fireballs at Egwene as she holds back a Forsaken by herself and with no training and everything. Oh, my God. But it was that scene... 
the more you talk about it. Uh, it it takes what was supposed to be Rand's crowning moment of revealing I am the Dragon Reborn to the masses, where he's supposed to have this fight with Ashamael of epic proportions in the sky, where he learns about self-sacrifice because he's willing mm-hmm. to let Ashamael stab him so that he can get a close a, get close enough to Ashamael to finish him off with a better move. And it gives that all away to everyone else, where Egwene is able to be that power shield and protect Rand and the rest of the friends that come up the stairs. And then we see, later on, Moraine, of course, taking down the ships, which releases the block on Rand. Elaine It's not even a fight at that point. Yeah. Not even in the fight like, at that he point. summons the power around him. He just walks up and stabs him. Right. He just walks up to Ishamael. Ishamael just stands there watching Rand come towards him and watches Rand lift up his sword and stab him. Again, not fast. Super freaking slow. And <laughs> just takes it and dies. But we didn't even mention Perrin coming up, putting his shield somehow behind Egwene's shield to reinforce it because Perrin can see weaves and then Egwene, sorry, Elaine and Nynaeve coming up the tower after Elaine just had an arrow through her leg. Meanwhile Rand's like, ooh, hottie, who are you? And I'm Elaine. I'm one of your three wives. uh, (laughs) Right? We're gonna have a haram of fun. But, uh, (laughs) meanwhile... Uh, that was just some foreshadowing, which I didn't have a problem with, but just Elaine getting up the tower there and Rand being useless again in what's supposed to be his crowning moment of victory, where he relies on everybody else to do everything for him, including Moraine putting up the dragon banner, which is this giant fire dragon. Which did not look mm, that great. No, it did not. And then, of course, because none of this was earned, the entire crowd collapsed and applauds and are like, yeah, the dragon! Meanwhile, they would have been shaking in their boots, peeing down their legs, and running and hiding because they do not want a man that can channel. And this, this all goes back to Rand just being neutered this entire series and not doing anything in my mind that makes it clear and obvious why it matters he is the dragon. He has done no display of power. He has done nothing that makes him feel like the hero of the story we're watching unfold before us. And it's just giving all of his moments to everybody else and it just bothers me to no end. Rant over. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Mike? I mean, I, you've said it all. Like, I just think that there's so much here that they could have done differently. And this season, this season had so many great moments. Yeah. And it just fall, falls so flat and short. And the final dragon reveal is just sort of that wrapped up, right? Yeah. It The applause, everything else, like the dragon is something not to be feared but to be loved and i just 
don't know. It it it's a mess. That's how I feel about it. Honestly, is that it's a mess. And I'm gonna be interested to see what they do with this next season, if they have a third season, um, because I'm kind of at a point where I'm like I'm not quite sure what how they're going to go forward with some of this. Obviously, all these characters come back together, but they've learned the lesson that they need to stay together. So do we just go right into Shadows Rising where they're going yep. into the IEO Waste together? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that would actually make it talking about it and you're not ahead and I'm like, yeah, I guess that probably makes the most sense. They did say Kara Karn, explain that, have Pat and Fane following him, Lanfear's there, uh, Mogadeen, I guess, but now they're bringing in Mogadeen early. Are they splitting up the crew? Like, I don't know. So yeah. Let's uh, just talk about that ending with Landfear and Mogadine here. So, Landfear earlier on in the episode, again, siding on the side of light, going and finding Bale Domond, saying, hey, I gave you this broken seal before, this broken Quendiar seal before. You want some whole ones? <laughs> and, like, you got to throw this stuff into the ocean. Basically telling Bale Domond what Nynaeve and... Elaine say to him later on in the books about dumping the seals into the ocean but they go and, or Lanfear goes at the end of the episode to go get these seals to give to Bell, and all of the seals are broken meaning that the other Forsaken are free and then we have Mogadine coming out and being creepy as can be trapping Lanfear with like her spider web thing and living up to that nickname of being the spider. And it's it leaves a lot of questions because of where Mogadine fits in the story. And where Lanfear fits in the story. And it really makes me wonder what's next. Which, uh, do you have any thoughts on that scene there, Mike? Or do you want to jump right into talking about season three predictions? I mean, I liked... Mogadine's portrayal I thought it was neat uh, but she is like a spider and so having her trap um, land fear that way was pretty neat I just I don't I don't I mean it's fine I just I'd, I as I said I kind of had my predictions that they're going to the IEO waste but Mogadine I guess is I don't know how she's going to be involved in this or are they just going to mesh her because in, in, in the books, what happens is you have Rand going to the Waste. Egwene is there learning from the Wisdoms. You have the whole dream. The Wise Ones. Teleron Riyadh. The Wise Ones, sorry. Uh, the Wise Ones. And then you have Elaine and Nynaeve going in a separate direction. And they're the ones who are really facing Leandrin and Mogadine. And so are you going to still have this sort of split with Rand taking on some of the characters because i mean honestly Egwene and nynaeve and them do need to go back to the tower to finish their training yeah so even though they don't ever really do that anyway thinking about this a little bit more why don't we wrap this episode up here and we can do a predictions slash what we'd like to see episode for season three another time that sounds good all right so just really quick putting a bow on this seer this season right here what what are your overall thoughts on it? Like thinking about season two as a whole and comparing it to season one, the direction of the series. Messy, but 
slight improvements. I think that there's still some strides that they can take or, or like make. You know, keep things clean, right? You do. I have. I understand that you're trying to condense things, but take time with some of the things. Give maybe Amazon like it's doing well enough. Give them a couple more episodes. Like give them ten. Give them twelve to let them flesh out some of this stuff a bit more. Um, instead of rushing through, like getting to the end and then like, oh, let's just rush it all through and hope for the best. Like you're doing a good job of making some adjustments. But also add a caveat on that. Don't sacrifice characters, you know, who they are. Because I think that some of it's kind of short-sighted, like the Suldom thing. Like, yeah, that is something that interweaves the story for so much longer. And yeah. What about you? Yeah, so I, I think I share a lot of your same sentiment. I feel like season two is a big step up from season one for Wheel of Time as a whole. I think that there are still a lot of flaws, but that in general, it seems like the crew for season two of Wheel of Time is just learning from some of those mistakes, but they're still making more and more mistakes too. Like you said, short-sightedness of things they're doing for shock value or what they're doing for just like shits and giggles. It's like things that they toss away that are so important later on. They're just not making it possible to revisit those. I think that they have a lot of room for improvement. They are making strides though. And I, I enjoyed season two in a, as a whole much more. So I'm hoping that they continue this general upwards trajectory for season three. However, season three, if it is indeed going to be Shadow Rising, which I think Rafi came out and said it was going to be, then there's going to be a lot more story and a lot more lore that is added here. And I just really hope it doesn't feel rushed. I hope we get the time to make it to make it done right, to make it matter. And yeah, I mean, as a whole, I think that I'd say season two for me was probably a solid seven out of 10. Okay. I would, yeah, I'd say probably around seven. I'd say between six. Yeah, between six six and a half and seven for me, probably. But that's better than like the five and a half I gave season one, I think. So (laughs) yeah, going up a point. Yes. Keep going another... Six seasons here. We'll, we'll, we'll hit 10 at some point. But that's going to do it for us for this episode here. So it's going to be Two Nerds signing off. We'll see you next time with some predictions for season three of Wheel of Time or a trailer reaction. Bye. See ya. <laughs>